I have to admit, um, you have those weekends that just everything kind of clicks into place. I'm a Twins fan, a Minnesota Twins fan. And four days ago, we were two games back with three games to play, and we've persevered. And so we find ourselves today on Sunday, this day the Lord has made, and we have a game at one (laughs) o'clock, and I am excited. It's been one of those weekends for me as as a sports fan just to take heart in that. I'm also a Minnesota Gophers fan, so you know that not everything is good for me. Uh, We're terrible, but that's okay. I want to thank you for allowing me to be here with you this morning. Uh, This is my second week worshiping at City Branch, and uh, it's a special place. You can feel it. There are certain worshiping communities that have it. You don't know what it is, but you can tell when it's there. And this community has it, and it's so fun to be here. It's, it's a place where you can feel God's presence. So, so thank you for that, and I thank you for allowing me to be here and share with you this morning. Well, as a church, we're going through the year of the Bible. We've, we've taken this year, and we're looking at what God's Word, what this book, what this document that we have, what it means for each and every single one of us. And so we've gone progressively through the Bible and we've taken an in-depth look at each thing. And if you're new to hope, that's what we've been doing. And if you've been here this whole year, you know that that's what we've been doing. And if you're anything like me, we often look at this book and we think that it's out of touch. It was written too long ago. Nothing that's written in here could could, could pertain to what I have going on in my life, could it? But as we see, as we've gone through this book, as we've gone through the Bible, we see that it is God's Word. That God does have something to say to us today. And it's amazing that scriptures that have been written so long ago can, can speak to the present situations in our lives so precisely. And so we've been looking at it, and and now we find ourselves in the the section of the New Testament, and and we're titling these the Letters to the Church. These are actual letters written by actual people, most of them by this guy named Paul, written to actual churches. And he's writing these letters to give them encouragement, to give them instruction, to tell them to not be dismayed, to tell them to keep holding on, but also giving them instructions to tell them to... uh, Straighten up a little bit. And so we're looking at these letters that Paul wrote to the church. And last week, John spoke about freedom. John spoke about what Christ did, how Christ came into our lives, how Christ came into this world to free us. How Christ came into this world to to free us from all those things, all those behaviors, all those thoughts, those things that seem to tangle us up to confine us, to hold us captive. And that's where I want to start today. And if you have your Bibles, open them up to chapter, John chapter 10, verse 10. One of the scriptures that John used last week. Jesus is speaking. And Jesus says in John 10, verse 10, Jesus says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Jesus says, the thief's purpose 
is to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus is talking, yes, he's talking about evil and about Satan, but Jesus is talking about all those things that hang us up in our lives. That all those things, they steal from us. They kill us. They destroy us. We become so focused on these things. We become so captive of all these things that our life is stolen from us. We're killed. We're destroyed. But Jesus says, I have come. I have come that they may have life and have it in all of its fullness. I have come, other versions say, that they may have life and have it in abundance. I have come that they may have a life that they could never dream of having. And when we think about it, how could it not be? In Genesis chapter 1, it's the story of all of creation, how God knit together this world that we live in. And in Genesis 1, verse 27, it says, So God created them. Male and female, He created them in His own image. God has created each and every single one of us. God has created humanity in the very image of Himself. And have you thought about what that means? That you have been created in the very likeness of the God that created this whole universe. The God that created the most beautiful sunset that you have ever seen created you in His image. The very God that put all the stars in the sky created you in His likeness. And when God looks at you, You take God's breath away. But you see, I think we've forgotten that, haven't we? I think we've forgotten the truth that we've been created in the image of God, and I think we've forgotten it for two primary reasons. First, I think we've forgotten this truth because, well... Society, our culture has taught us that that there's this image, there's this person, there's this goal, there's this thing that we have to live up to. There's this image that we have to maintain. In order to be happy, we have to have these things, or do these things, or look this certain way. And we spend our lives, and we're running so hard, and we're running so fast, that we exhaust ourselves just trying to be what this world tells us. We should be. And we forget that we have been created in God's image. Because what the world tells us is that we just don't measure up. And I have to admit to you that this is something that I struggle with every day. You see, I spent so much of my life trying to put on this facade, trying to put on this front that people will see, so scared that people might see that there might be a crack in my armor. My first two years out of college, I taught high school English. I loved my time teaching, but at this time in my life, in my 22, 23, and 24 years old, I really struggled with this. You see, there is this person that I thought that I needed to be. 
there is this image I wanted to portray and, and I wouldn't let anybody get close because I was scared that they might really know that I didn't have it all figured out. Well, I was teaching English. I can remember it as if it were yesterday. It was fifth period. I was teaching Julius Caesar by William Shakespeare and I was really in my element. So the class and I were having this discussion, this conversation, and I, I was writing everything that they said on the whiteboard, and so I'd ask them a question, and they would respond, and I'd write it on the board, and then I'd ask them another question, and, and they would respond, and I'd write it on a bo- the board again. And one time I had just written on the board that I went back to put the cover on the whiteboard marker, and the marker fell out of my hands, and it came to rest right in front of Nicole Hyden's desk. Nicole sat right in the front of her row, just off the center of the room. Nicole was a straight-A student, but she was one of those students that just doesn't really have that filter. She says things without really thinking that they might not be the most appropriate things to say. Well, the marker dropped in front of Nicole, and I went down to pick it up. And as I'm down picking up this marker, Nicole Hyden says, Mr. Johnson, you're going bald. And the only thing I can think to say at this point, the only thing that I can think to do that would hurt her as much as she just hurt me, is I said, well, Nicole, you're going to fail. <laughs> now who has the worst thing? And I know it sounds trivial, and I know it st- sounds that it really isn't that big of a deal, but at this point in my life, there is nothing that she could have said that could have hurt me any worse. You see, because that just got in the way of that image I wanted to portray. So the rest of the day, I am all out of sorts. Outside, I think I'm holding it together, but inside, all I can think about, and I know it sounds dumb, but the only thing I can think about is that I am going bald. And it's gotten worse every year since. (laughs) And I get to the end of the day, and this is nine, nine years ago, so it's before I had a cell phone, get to the end of the day, and I rush home to my apartment. And the first thing I do is I make it up to my apartment, and I dial my parents' phone number. And my mom answers, and remember, I'm all out of sorts. My mom answers, I said, Mom, are you home? And she said, Jeremy, you just called the house phone. I said, well, don't move, I'll be right over. My parents lived about ten miles away. I ran downstairs, I got in my car, I drove over to my parents' house, and I opened up the door, and I I met by my mom, who is standing there with this perplexed look on her face, so concerned that something tragic has just happened in my life, and the dog can even see that something's going on, because the dog is looking like he's in trouble, and my mom is scared, and I say, Mom, am I going bald? My mom loves me. And my mom says, No. And I tell her what happened, and she says, well, that's kind of a dumb thing to say. And I said, I know, but mom, am I going bald? And she said, well, you might be thinning a little bit. But Jeremy, I think your dad is really good looking. And I said, mom, that's not helping. (laughs) But you see, we have this image. We have this idea of what we think It takes to be somebody. And when we think that we might not be able to achieve that, well, it hurts us. And it robs us 
of the fact and the knowledge that we have been created in the image of God. The other thing is I think that many of us just, well, we just don't think we're good enough. We don't think that, that, that we're good enough. And, and sure, God created us in His image, but God must have messed up a little bit with me. Because it couldn't be so. It was just about a year after my situation with Nicole. I'll never forget it. I remember laying in my bed, staring at the ceiling, wondering, wondering just what life was all about. I was so unhappy. I felt so just empty that everything that I had sunk my hopes into, everything I'd sunk my dreams into had just ended up leaving me empty-handed. And I remember thinking to myself that morning that, that if this is the best that life has to offer, if this is as good as it gets, well then this is some sorry joke because this is just not what I thought it would be. And I remember that morning thinking, thinking about my parents. And I remember thinking, they just seem to have something about them. There, there just seems to be some fullness to them. There just seems to be some just contentment in their lives. And I started thinking, well, maybe they were on to something. And, and maybe that whole Christian thing, maybe that whole God thing, maybe there's something more to that. You see, I'd never, I, I was someone who never really doubted the intellectual fact that there was a God. But in my day-to-day life, it really didn't matter much to me at this time. And I started thinking, maybe they were on to something. And then I started thinking about all the other people I knew who had those, that type of faith that was just so strong, that, that, that they knew that they were troubled at times, but they knew that their hope resided in the fact that Jesus Christ had come to save them. And I wondered, maybe, just maybe, that would work for me. But you see, there was a problem. And the problem was that that, that church thing, that just... That just God, it just wasn't for me because, because if I walked into a church, somehow everybody there would just know how many questions I had. And everybody there would know how fragile my faith was. And everybody there would, would know just all the doubts that resided in my head. And everybody there would somehow know all the mistakes that I'd made in my life. And if they didn't know, surely God would know how many questions I had. Surely God would know how fragile my faith was. Surely God would know how many doubts I had in my head. And most definitely, God would know all the mistakes that I had made in my life. And sure, sure it was good for them, but... Somehow, I had stepped just a little bit too far away. And sure, God loves us, but God could never really love and use somebody like me. I think, I think a lot of us struggle with that in our lives. And it robs us from knowing that God created us in His image. 
that Jesus Christ came to save us. You know, that's the absolute crazy thing about this God that we have. Because, you know, I couldn't have been further from the truth. Jesus, while he was here on earth, is meeting with one of his disciples. His name is Peter. And Jesus says to Peter, 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 I'm not going to be here much longer, but Peter, you're the rock on which I am going to build my church. Peter, it's up to you, and you need to carry this thing on when I'm not here any longer. And I can't imagine the thoughts that were going through Peter's mind, going, Jesus, you must be mistaken. You know, Peter's the guy that got out of the boat, tried to walk on water, and, and he sunk. Peter's the guy that ended up denying Christ before Christ was brought to the cross. Peter was somebody who was so fully human, was so fragile. And, and Peter must have been saying, Jesus, Jesus, there's got to be a plan B. And Jesus is looking at him and saying, Peter, no. Peter, there is no plan B. You see, we're human. And that's just who we are. Even Paul, Paul, the writer of all most of the letters in the New Testament, even Paul struggled with his, his, his humanity. In Romans 7, another one of Paul's letters, Romans 7, verse 15, Paul writes these powerful words. I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. Paul says, I don't, I don't get it. What I don't want to do, I can't help but doing. Later on he says, oh wretched soul am I. This writer who composes most of the New Testament says, Oh, wretched soul am I. And I wonder how many of us in our own language, in our own way, have claimed out to God, Oh God, oh, wretched soul am I. But you see, the amazing thing about the God that we have is that God has called us, God has created us in His image, God has called us for a specific purpose, and that purpose is to spread God's love in this world. That everyone that we come in contact with would know that we are called and claimed and created by God and that they have the same opportunity no matter where they've come from, no matter what fears they have, no matter what mistakes that they've made, that God loves them and Jesus loves them and there's nothing that they can do to prevent that from happening. In 2 Corinthians, the scripture verse that was just read Paul writes these amazing words. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 7. Paul writes, But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. How foolish it would be to put something of value in a clay jar. Because clay jars are, are so fragile, so easily broken. 
clay jars, they're very porous. They don't hold things very well. But Paul says, we have this treasure in jars of clay so that no one will mistake what the true treasure truly is. That the treasure is what's inside, not what's on, out, on the outside. That it's God who has the all-surpassing power and not us. That no matter where you've been and what you've done, God's power and God's spirit resides in you to spread his mission to this world. And I don't know what you've come here with this morning. I don't know what insecurities and hang-ups that you have. But God is still using you for His purpose. Sir Oliver Franks was the British ambassador to the United States just after World War II at the dawn of the Cold War era. And what Sir Oliver Franks' job was primarily was to transport confidential information from London to Washington, D.C. And any, any intelligence that was of the utmost confidence, it was his job to transport it. He would never use the phone because surely the phones were bugged. So Sir Oliver Franks had this briefcase that had locks on it, and he'd put the information inside it, and he would hand-deliver it to the officials in Washington, D.C. But every so often, Sir Oliver Franks would come across something that just was a little more important. Something that, if anybody else found out, would be devastating to the cause. And when Sir Oliver Franks needed to transport this message he'd put it in a plain white envelope and put it in the mail. Because how foolish would somebody be to put something that important into something that's so mundane and so it is with you and I. That God has given us the message of Christ. God has given us who are so fragile, who are like those clay pots, God has given us the power of God. The very power that raised Christ from the dead resides in us. And when we bring God's message to the world, no one will misunderstand that it comes from God and not from us. Second Corinthians goes on. Paul says, we are hard pressed on every side but not crushed. Perplexed but not in despair. Persecuted but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that his life may be revealed in our mortal body. So then death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. You've been called. You've been marked. And you are here for a purpose. And regardless of of the insecurities that you may have, regardless of the doubts that you may have, you will feel troubled at times. But the life of Jesus Christ lives in you. And when you do the work of God in this world, you are bringing 
the kingdom of God at hand. You are bringing the kingdom of God to this community, to this world. Sarah Tikolsky, she played softball for Eastern Oregon University. She was a role player. She wasn't a very good hitter. She had never hit a home run over the fence in her career, not in Little League, not in high school, not in college. But Sarah Tikolsky found herself at bat in the playoffs with two runners on. The winner continued, the loser went home. And Sarah Tikolsky, this role player, this bit player, uncorks the best swing of her life. She hits home run. Her team goes nuts. She is overflowing with joy. She runs to first base, and in her exuberance as she rounds first base, she realizes that she missed the base. And she stops and has to go back to touch it. But as she stops, something freak happens. And Sarah Tikolsky blows out her left knee. She crumples to the ground, is able to sit on first base, and looks up at the umpire with a question look. The first base coach, who is one of Sarah's teammates, asks the umpire, can I help her? And the umpire said, no, if you touch her, she's out. None of the runs count. So the umpires gather and they figure out what to do in this situation, what the rules will permit. And there's a couple options. The first option is that Sarah crawl around the bases and make her way home. That's not possible. She's in too much pain. Second option is that Sarah stay on first base, they call timeout, a pinch runner comes on and she only gets credit for a single. The runners advance one base. The team is discussing their options, trying to figure out what they're going to do when they hear a voice that says, well, can we carry her? The voice was from Mallory Holtman, the first baseman for the opposing team, Central Washington. Mallory Holtman was not a bit player. She was not only her college's career home run leader, but she was the conference's career home run leader. The best player in the conference. The umpire looks at Mallory as if to say, do you know what you're doing? When Mallory says again, well, can we carry her? And the umpire says, yeah. And Mallory, the captain of her team, looks at the shortstop and says, let's go. And they come over and they pick Sarah up. And the two of them carry her around the bases. And when they get to a base, they bend down so gently so she can extend her good leg and touch the base. By the time they get to third base and start coming for home, the whole stands have stood up, tears coming down people's face knowing that they just witnessed something special.
You see, because Mallory knew what was right. Even though that led to her own team's elimination, Mallory knew that she was called for something greater. For something bigger than this. How's God moving you? What is God calling you to do? What situations are present in your life where you can be that clay jar that proclaims the message of Christ loud and clear into this world? Paul finishes this thought saying, Therefore we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is is eternal. God has called you. God has claimed you through the death of His Son, Jesus Christ. And He has called you to spread His love to this world. And you may be here saying, Ah, oh, God, there's got to be a plan B. God, I can't be used, but God can use you. God is using you. For you have been created in His image to spread His mission, which is to all people would know the love of Christ.